Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass they will soon wither, like green plants they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. And turn one page as well. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of, the many, of many wicked for the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster they will not wither, in days of famine they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed, they will go up in smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the earth, will inherit the land, but those he curses will be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. So we're looking at um, Psalm, um, Psalm 37, but I've got a question for you first of all. Uh, and the question is, is why is the number 120 significant today? What's so special about the, nu the number 120? Anybody guess? David? Say that again. I can't say it again. Oh, 102 more than Jamie is. Oh, no. Any other suggestions? Yes, it's 120 days before Christmas. That means we've only got 120 days to do our shopping. Can I sense panic? You haven't. You've done all your Christmas shopping already. I'm sorry to mention Christmas uh, in the middle of August. But I don't know about you, whether you have particular traditions that you follow in your family at Christmas time. We have one in particular that I'd like to tell you about. I'm sure many of you do this as well. It's that we watch the Queen's speech. After we've had our Christmas dinner, we sit around the telly 
My mum, she always tries to guess what the Queen will say this year. Irene's more interested in the family photos. My son's not really interested at all. And I'm struggling to stay awake after eating too much Christmas dinner. A typical English post-Christmas lunch scene. But there is one Queen's speech that I did listen to because I was just astounded by what she said. You may remember 2014, the Queen spoke about her personal faith. These were her words. She said, for me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate today, is an inspiration and an anchor in my life, a role model of reconciliation and forgiveness. He stretched out his hands in love, acceptance and healing. Christ's example has taught me to seek to respect and value all people of whatever faith or none. Aren't those staggering words? that our Queen said in 2014. You see, the Queen has a real faith in Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And um, her message is that finding peace in our troubled world is only really possible when we personally find peace with God. And we know that's only possible when we put our trust in Jesus. And we're looking at Psalm 37 to see what it teaches us about how we live. And this psalm is set in the context of a violent society. And David, King David, who writes this psalm, if you look in verse 25, he says, I was young, but I am now old. Many of us know what he means. Um, But he's looking back on his life. He's reflecting, and he's giving some advice from his own experience. And he writes about three things. He talks about an unfair world, a troubled mind, and a trusting heart. But before we get into all of that, I just want to give a bit of a health warning. Because as we talk about violence, as we talk about abuse, as we talk about harm, I don't want to give the impression that as Christians we just don't do anything about it. If we experience it personally, if we've experienced harm, abuse in our families, in our communities, in our workplace then it's right and proper that we should talk to somebody about that. Get advice. There are processes, protocols, wherever we might find ourselves, which actually means that that we can get help if we're experiencing violence personally. We take safeguarding very seriously in this parish. And you may not know, there's three members of the church family who are involved in delivering safeguarding training across uh, the diocese. And this diocese also takes safeguarding of children and vulnerable adults very seriously. So having said that, let's think about what David is is saying. Let's just pray together. Father, as we look at this psalm together, we pray that you teach us, teach us what it means to trust you, particularly when we experience injustice and we look around the world and see sometimes an unfair world. Open our eyes, Lord, and see and help us to see what you want us to learn this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, David talks about living in an unfair world. His description of the world that he lives in is very similar to a world that many Christians around the world find themselves in, a world where evil people seem to get 
the upper hand. And it might be you think, well, actually, my, this is just outside my experience. But the amazing thing about the Bible is that today, all around the world, people are reading the Bible, and it's speaking into their lives. So it may be that you don't think you particularly face a violent environment, although we know in the UK that gun crime is on the increase, that knife crime is on the increase, and you may have experienced violence personally in your own life, but we know that for many people in the world, they experience, they know what it's like to live in a violent society. Look at what it, how he describes it. Look in verse 7. He says, do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. He's saying the world is a place where there's people who scheme, where they plan and execute wicked things, violence, extortion, blackmail, robbery, kidnap, rape, abuse. The list is endless, and it goes on and on. It's a place where people plot against the righteous, against good people, and threaten them. Look in verse 12. It said, the wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. They target believers because they are easy targets. They won't respond with violence. They're sitting ducks. And these evil people have no qualms about using violence, and they will use them against the poor and the needy. Look in verse 14. It says, The wicked draw their sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those who are upright. Then in verse 21, they say, They borrow money. They don't bother to pay it back, and they get away with it. And if this isn't enough, they lie in wait to trap the righteous and then take them to court to have them condemned. It gives us a picture of a place that's full of evil and violence. Evil people scheming and plotting to get rich by targeting the vulnerable. And worst of all, it seems that they get away with it. According to the International Society for Human Rights, which is a secular observatory based in Frankfurt, Frank Frankfurt in Germany, uh, they report that 80% of all acts of religious discrimination in the world today are directed at Christians. Statistically speaking, that makes Christians by far the most persecuted religious body on the planet. And a few weeks ago, we had a visit from Imtiaz from Release International, and he told us a little bit about what, what is happening in Pakistan and the experience of Pakistani Christians. And there's no doubt, as we look around the world, it's becoming increasingly a violent place, and particularly for Christian minorities in different parts of the world. So what is David's advice in this psalm about living in a world like that? How can we live in peace with others? Well, before we look at that, um, we're going to think about um, the effect it can have on us as we think about a troubled mind. As I've said, King David is looking back on his life. He's <laughs> reflecting on what it's like to live in this kind of an environment. And uh, he's got some advice for us. He says in verse 1, he says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. And he says this again in verses 7 and 8. He says, Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret it only leads to evil. Are we getting the message? Do not fret, he tells us three times. The word fret means to burn, to get heated up, to become angry, preoccupied, frustrated, anxious. And I think we can all relate to that. There are times in our lives when we've got into that kind of a state. 
Now, anger, we know that the Bible teaches us that anger in itself isn't necessarily wrong. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, he says, in your anger, do not sin. So there's, there's an, a, a right kind of anger that we should be expressing, an anger that rages against injustice, against violence towards the vulnerable. It's right that we should be angry about injustice, but that anger must not lead us to sin. But to fret is to hold on to something and allow it to dominate your thoughts. And slowly it starts to eat you up, and you can't think about anything else. And David is teaching us in this psalm, don't get stuck in this kind of anger. And it's something also that you can't change on your own. That situation that we're angry about is something that we actually need to commit to God. We need to hold back from reacting in rage and trust that God will act because actually it's God's job to judge, to take action and not ours. In 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, it says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. As Christians, we leave God to be the judge. And David also advises us that we need to take the long view of life. Look in verse 1 and 2 again. He says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will die away. Evil people are like the summer plants that shoot up, then disappear before we know it. So what's the opposite to fretting? Well, it's trusting. And in our next section, David moves away from stressing the negative to talking about the positive. And he talks about a trusting heart. And he gives us four positive instructions of how to respond to living in a world that seems unfair. Four ways to enable us to live in peace with others. Let's read from, from verse 3. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So there's four things to help us to live in peace with others. First of all, but we've said them, haven't we? Trust in the Lord, delight in the Lord, commit yourself to the Lord, and be still before the Lord. So first of all, trusting in the Lord. We talked earlier how easy it is for our anger about injustice to eat away at us. And this kind of obsession with evil and injustice is just hard to switch off. But we can address it as we get a new focus for our attention. And that focus is the Lord himself. Notice how each of these instructions contains the Lord's name. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. So it involves a deliberate redirection of our emotions as we focus on God. Remember how Paul and Silas were once in prison. And so many negative thoughts could have filled their minds at that time. But they chose instead to praise God together. 
And the other focus that David gives us is to do good as we trust God. Look in verse 3, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. And there are two reasons to do good. Um, One is that doing good actually takes the attention off ourselves and the focus off ourselves. And good is God's way to overcome evil. The second part of verse 3 also helps us as we think about the need to live in peace with others. It says, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. You see, some of God's people had been tempted to leave the land that God had given them and had promised them. Um, Those of you that have been coming on Sunday evenings know that as we've looked at the book of Ruth, we've thought about Ruth's family, her adopted family, how they left the land of Judah and they went to go and live in Moab. And there was always that temptation for God's people to leave the place where God had made so many promises um, to them about. But to leave that place was to say, I don't think I really believe or trust you anymore, God. So David urges them to stay in the land and enjoy being fed and cared for by the shepherd. Trusting is a state of mind, but at times it calls us to act as well, to recommit ourselves to serving in the places where God has called us to be. The second instruction is for us to delight ourselves in the Lord. And this is where the rubber really hits the road, because we're not just talking about head knowledge here. We're not just talking about information we gather about God. We are talking about enjoying God, knowing God. Um, Daniel Wetham, who was here a few weeks ago and was talking about their work with InterServe in Southeast Asia, he, he asked us a question, didn't he? He asked us whether we've enjoyed the hot weather and how he, he commented how we all sort of talk about how much we've enjoyed that lovely weather, which seems a distant memory right now. And, and he, says that, he said that all enjoyment ends up with praise. So at Preston North End, when a goal is scored, the fans celebrate When students get the grades or the numbers that they are now, when they get what they they wanted, then they celebrate together. The world is full of praise. And C.S. Lewis, writing about the Psalms, says that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows with praise. He says we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. And as we praise him, our emotions get refocused. The anger, the fretting is turned to praising. And God changes the way that we look at the world. We get a new perspective on life. The third thing that helps us live in peace with others is to commit our way to the Lord in verse 5. And uh, my understanding is that this word commit originally, um, apparently in Hebrew, the word uh, means roll or rolling a kind of rolling you do when you get rid of a burden or worry. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So as we cast or roll our cares and worries, commit them to the Lord, there's a a promise that comes with that. It's that he cares for us. He knows about our lives. He knows about the worries and the things that are on our hearts and minds. So we're getting a picture of a person who's been liberated, liberated from the stress of trying to get even, trying to take um, retaliation. Somebody's always fighting their corner, obsessed with their own agenda, but wonderfully set free now to serve God 
as they leave their concerns with God so that in his time he will bring about justice. And finally, David instructs us to be still before the Lord and to wait patiently before him. This verse describes a calm surrender. Silence is a rare thing, isn't it, in our lives? We're always busy. There's always so much noise around us. And yet, unless we actually find time to be silent before God, we won't experience the peace that he promises. We learned this from our early days living in Karachi in Pakistan. It was um, back in 1989 when Benazir Bhutto had returned to Pakistan and there were protests across the city and many people uh, were killed in the city at that time. Um, one person was killed um, at the end of our street. We heard the loud gunshot and we were feeling really very, very anxious. We'd only been in the country a few months and we didn't speak very much of the language. And that night we went to sleep very anxious and very frightened. And when our, our sleep was disturbed in the middle of the night when an armoured vehicle drove down our street and we heard the announcement in Urdu that there was a curfew in our area. And we felt frightened and unsure what to do. We had no telephone, there were no mobiles, we didn't have a landline. Um, we had uh, no family nearby, no friends nearby. So we decided that we would just pray together. And we prayed and we asked for God's peace. And immediately we were surrounded by God's peace and stillness. And within minutes, we drifted back to sleep. God's peace comes to us in the midst of conflict. We often think that peace is the absence of conflict, but God's peace comes in the midst of trouble and conflict. That's why Psalm 23 says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. As we learn to be still before God, we can know his peace in the midst of a violent and a troubled world. So finally, David says to fret, to be consumed with anger is not God's way. God's, God calls us to live in a different way. As we put our trust in Jesus, who stretched out his arms on a cross and experienced the worst violence that the world could throw at him. And as we put our trust in Jesus, we too can learn to trust, to delight, to commit ourselves, to be still before the Lord. Verse 23 says, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And don't we all need to keep relearning these same lessons? To trust, to commit, to delight, to be still? We will forget, but God's promise is that he will catch us when we stumble. He will remind us, he'll put us on our feet again. May each of us live in peace with others and with God as we experience the transforming power of the Prince of Peace in our lives. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, whatever we face at the beginning of this new week, thank you that you are a God who promises 
to be with us. We pray for young people who are making decisions and preparing to leave home. Pray that these words might be words which will guide them and lead them on as they make changes in their lives. And as parents say goodbye and face the prospect of not having their young people with them all the time, pray that they too would put their trust in you. And those of us that face uncertainties around our health, with our families, with our jobs, whatever it might be that we face, help us to put our trust in you this morning, to commit our concerns to you, to delight in you, and to be still before you. Amen.